Romans chapter 12. And we're going to go into chapter 13 as well this morning. And this is, to me, this is a very interesting place to have a chapter break between the last, thank you, Daniel, the last few verses in Romans chapter 12 and then going into chapter 13. But it tells us in Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 18, it says, if possible, so as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. And do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Verse 1 of chapter 13, every person is to be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. And do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a servant of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a servant of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection not only because of wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of This you also pay taxes, for rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Pay to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, respect to whom respect, honor to whom honor. And so, Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning as we look into this word of yours and that we receive the instruction that that you desire to give us. Lord, this is a very difficult passage to navigate, particularly in these days. We'd ask, Lord, that you would give us an ear to hear what the Spirit would say to each of us, and that we would consider the admonition here from your word that really is binding upon our hearts. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Anybody want to leave yet? (laughs) Tough passage, huh? This is really difficult for me. And particularly because we have to look at the history of this. Paul wrote this when it was either, either the last year of Caligula's reign or probably the very first few years of Nero in his reign. Now, within 10 years of writing this, Nero's going to be persecuting the church in Rome. Rome. Within 10 years of reading this, some of the people who read this originally may have been put to death for their faith by Nero. Paul, it's believed that he was beheaded by Nero. 
So he's writing this and he's telling us to, to, be, to be subject to governing authorities and recognizing that they are established by God. And, and the, the flow here, you have to, and that's why I backed up into uh, verse 18 of chapter 12, is that you have to recognize part of why this is here and there's a lot of debate. There's a lot, imagine that, huh? There's a lot of debate about why this passage is even here. There are even some who believe that this was inserted later. I found that to be interesting. So we can say it's inserted later. Let's just move on into verse uh, 8. Of, yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't know that that's the case. There's really no evidence that it was inserted later. So this is a problem. This is a problem for us as American Christians, particularly because we, we, it's ingrained in us, it's ingrained in us, each and every one of us, and I'm among you. This is my right to do this. This is my right to do that. It is my right to speak up. It is my right to be uh, dissenting. And, and I've, I've had a lot of conversations with a few guys lately on this. And, and the, the question is, do we at times respond to the greater good? I'll unpack that slowly later on, okay? But do we at times respond to the greater good? Now, within the context of this passage, and there are some commentators who say this is such an abrupt change. That's why you have chapter 13, verse 1 beginning with where it says every person being subject to the governing authorities. But what we do have at the end of chapter 12 is this very strong uh, admonition to not take revenge. And what Paul is implying here by the flow of this book, remember the verses and the chapters are not divinely inspired. When this was originally written, they did not have chapter and verses They are put there for our sake so that we're able to find the text better. But the flow here is is what Paul, I think, is bringing out here is he's telling us don't take revenge, but this is the purpose of which government is for. He's telling us to not take private revenge upon others. Now, it it isn't that God doesn't care about evil or God doesn't want society. It's not like God wants society to collapse uh, and and to go into chaos where where, uh, it it becomes really the law of the jungle. And and that's, that's part of what I think Paul is expressing here is that government does have a place. It does have a... A, a, a reason for its existence. What I want you guys to wrestle with this morning and as you go through your week and weeks and months and through this year and, and, and is, is how does this fit in 2022 in the United States of America today? Because you can't, you can't push it aside. You can't just say it doesn't exist. Now, some people do. Are we ever right to rebel against the government? Do you guys know who Diedrich Bonhoeffer was? 
German Lutheran pastor, he was involved in the plot to assassinate Hitler. He got caught. And within a few days of the Allied forces taking over Berlin, he was executed. Uh, tragic. Matter of fact, oh, the wonderful cross, oh, the wonderful cross, bids me come and die that I might live. He wrote those lyrics. And it's, it, those are attributed to him. He wrote them in a prison cell when he was waiting to be executed. And, and I've had considerable de- debate with a friend of mine who, I don't know if you'll listen to this or not, but I've had considerable debate with a friend of mine. It, it, he, he, his view is that, that, that Bonhoeffer, in his involvement to assassinate Hitler, sinned, but he repented later. I thought the same thing by that look on your face. I, I'm not buying that. I, I think there, there are the times that in, 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 in our society that we are called to rise up. Now, I think the motive behind here with Paul, and it, it's all implied, all right? This is just my opinion. Your mileage may vary. It's because I, 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 I talk to, at times, and none of you, or if, if it is some of you, you haven't revealed that to me about yourself, but I've talked to at times about Christians that are, they're almost like this, this wild-eyed, crazy uh, uh, idea of, of dissenting against the government because it's the world and they're out to get us and they're, and, and they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna, uh, take advantage of us every way that they can. And, and, and I've listened to people talk about it and it's kind of fun to let them go and let them speak and let them continue on because you almost start to see the hatred in their hearts. And at, at some point, you, you, I start to wonder whether they're not violating this particular passage when it says to, to submit to authority and whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. Now, this might have been an easier sermon for me to preach three years ago before the pandemic and before we had a change of office in the, in the White House for some of you. And I've heard it said, and I've heard it said, and I agree with it to some degree, that as Americans we have rights. Do we have rights? Should we exercise those rights? I talked about this a little bit either last week or last Wednesday night. Remember, Paul exercised his right as a Roman citizen. When they were wanting to uh, basically do a kangaroo court on him and send him back to Jerusalem to be judged under the laws of the Jews, he says, I'm a Roman citizen. He appeals to Caesar. We have rights And we need to protect them. But our cue, how we are to live, now you may disagree with me on this, and if you do, fine, send me an email. How we are to live, how we are to go about our daily existence is not based upon the Constitution of the United States. It's based upon the Holy Bible. And we get our marching orders, we get 
uh, how we are to live based on what God has instructed us in his word. And, and uh, as I read this through again yesterday, and I was like, oh, I don't want to do that. This is where I really wanted to show a movie. I really wanted to show a movie, right? Because as I thought of, I, I, I can only think of one president in my lifetime that I really liked. Maybe two. And there's always been that angst. We were talking about this a little bit this morning, weren't we? You know, and, and, and somebody was saying, I can't remember what one of the guys said it. As, as Americans, we love to complain. You know, and thank God we have the freedom to do that. We also have the opportunity through various means to try to change the system if we don't like it. So get involved in that in one way, shape, or form. If you don't like the system, vote to change it. Work to change it. But recognize that God has established government. Now, what is interesting about this passage, and it really... A couple of things. Couple, I'm, I'm not going to go through it word for word like I do in a lot of teaching. I'm, I'm just going to shoot the overview on this because I think it's pretty self-explanatory. And I wish it wasn't. Although I will say that the Greek is very difficult here. It's hard to translate. All right. I'll do, that's just for extra credit. I'll let you wrestle with that one. Okay. We're told to be subject to and it's, that word is used a few times in this passage, I think three times. But also, we are to do this for conscience sake. For conscience sake. It's the same phrase that Paul uses when he's speaking to the Corinthians and telling them to not eat meat that's been offered to idols for conscience sake. And in that context... He's not talking about your conscience. He's talking about the conscience of the weaker brother. Notice it said brother, not sister. But anyway, we'll, we'll just go with that. And that sometimes we refrain as a means to not cause another person uh, to, to stumble in their faith. And, and what I, as I've thought about this, this idea of conscience sake... Uh, it really, to me, I think it really takes spiritual maturity on our part to say, as John the Baptist said in John chapter 2, I must decrease so that he might what? Increase. That's hard. That's hard when you're getting your rights all stomped on. That's hard when you're being told to do something and you don't believe it's necessary. Whether you're right or not is even beyond that. I don't even want to have that debate with anybody. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in personal rights. Even if you're wrong, I'll support you, okay? Or if I disagree with you. But what we have to understand here Is, is that this passage does not tell us what to do when government departs from the role that God has given it. 
I wanted to pull my teeth out the other day when I was watching the news and Vladimir Putin is quoting from the Gospel of John saying, greater love has no man than this than a man lay down his life for his friends. And I'm thinking, he has now shifted into another antichrist. If he wasn't already, he sealed his fate right there with the misuse of scripture. And beyond my understanding, he has the backing of the Roman Orthodox Church. It's a crazy time. What are we to do when government departs from its role? It, do, it doesn't tell us what to do when government commits moral wrongs. Do, do governments commit moral wrongs? All the time. We're not told what to do in the midst of a, rev, of a revolution. For that matter. This passage doesn't even tell us what form of government is best. What form of government is best? I'll just leave that one with you. Daniel is saying the smaller the better. Plato would agree with you, by the way. For now. Is there resistance to government in the Bible? I don't have all the sort of the chapters and verses, but I know that you guys are familiar with this. Moses' mother hides him in a little basket in the Nile and saving his life. Jesus, his life was spared when an angel came to Joseph in a dream and told him to get out of Bethlehem and to go to Egypt and to flee. Daniel prayed even though it was against the law. That's how we ended up at the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I wish I could remember their Hebrew names, but I can't. But those are their, their, um, their Babylonian names. They refused to bow down to the statue. Where they end up? They ended up in the safety of the furnace with the Lord Jesus Christ, the fourth one who was like the Son of God. The apostles, Acts chapter 5, verse 29, Peter just simply says it twice. Acts 5 is the second time, I believe. We must obey God rather than men. How do you balance this with Romans 13? How do you balance it? Because it is, now let me ask you this. Isn't this pretty clear in Romans 13? I know you don't want to say yes, but it, it reads pretty clearly to me. Because what, I'm, what I'm digging at, guys, is not, so, not even so much what this text is saying that we're looking at this morning, but how do we interpret the Bible? How do we live for conscience sake? Again, it is the spiritual mature that can say, I must decrease so that he can increase. How are we to hold this incredible scripture that we have been given in, in, in proper balance, in proper context? How do we allow it to speak into our context 
day in and day out. So sometimes the most literal interpretation, I'm hoping I'm turning some apple carts over today because I think sometimes they need to be turned over. Sometimes the most literal interpretation is not the best. Did I just open up a can of worms? Oh, yeah, I did. I don't even know how to answer that one myself. But if we camp out on Romans 13, if we totally camp out here on this part of Romans 13, then, 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 then we're very, very limited. I, I was reminded to, and I would never do this, all right? I would never do this. But I know, I know a guy, it was back when I was in Cal Baptist, he was, he was pastoring this church that he was always complaining about. Uh, he, I don't know how long. He, anyway, so he's, they don't do anything. They don't do nothing, right? They don't do nothing, by the way, is a double negative, so don't say that. But anyway, he's complained about his church, and so he starts reading. He, he, he planned it all out. He starts, he, he's just, he gets out the flamethrower on a sermon one Sunday morning, and he reads the passage. I don't remember which one it was, but he says, you guys don't believe that. He tears it out of the Bible, Right? And he did that four or five times, you know, and he had four or five sheets, and he got an old Bible, of course. And I've heard of that done before. I think it's extreme, okay? I just think it's kind of extreme. I wouldn't do that. Um, they didn't hear him. They lined up after the service to chastise him for destroying a Bible is what they did. Good idea there, buddy. But anyway, um, Matthew 22, let's, let's take a quick look at Matthew 22. Let's see what Jesus has to say here. This is another segment of let's stump the Messiah by the Pharisees, okay? That's what's going on here. They're trying to trick Jesus. Right around the 21st verse, although I'll probably back up a few, to 15. 15, then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle Jesus, him, in his talk. And they sent him uh, their disciples, which with the Herodians, by the way, the Herodians and the Pharisees, they did not get along at all. They were from two distinct views. That was like a radical Democrat and a radical Republican going together. Okay, that's what's happening here. Saying, teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God in truth, nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. Tell us, therefore, do you think, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And they thought they had him over a barrel. But Jesus perceived their wickedness, I love this, and said, why do you test me, you hypocrites? See, he's not missing words. So show me the tax money. And so they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, whose image and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. Therefore he said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard this, these words, they marveled. They marveled because he shut them up and they went their way. They marveled too because I think he gave them a lot to think about. I think this passage speaks volumes to us today. 
We're to render to the government the things that belong to the government and render to God the things that belong to God. Render, of course, means give to. And, and, and do you understand what Jesus is saying here? One, he's calling us to walk a very thin line. Walk a very thin line. Again, Peter was there when Jesus said this. It is Peter who I quoted out of Acts chapter 5. We are to obey God rather than man. And I, it's my opinion that, that when we are called, we are instructed by government to do things that are contrary to the Scripture, then we obey what God has to say and not obey what man has to say. And we'll leave the consequences of that civil disobedience to God and entrust that to God, recognizing still that God has put authority uh, has given authority to government. I don't know how some of these people got elected, but anyway, uh, th- that's, that's another discussion for another time. Because it's interesting about politics, and if, if you've read much political philosophy, and I probably have read too much of it, um, politics is really, it was, it, this is going back to... You, ancient time of, of, of the Greeks, politics is considered a, 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 a cure for the soul, a secular cure for the soul. It is really secular theology, if you stop and think about it. If you really stop and think about the, you, you know, I, I hate listening to politicians, but it, it, in one regard, but it, they're also interesting to listen to. Because... They're appealing to our modernist instinct for, uh, that's been ingrained in our culture for us to get better and better and better and better and better. And one day, boom, we're going to hit utopia. They're loaded. The speeches are loaded with optimism. I, I've never, of course, they wouldn't do this, but I've never heard a politician get up and say, if any man follow the Lord Jesus Christ, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and deny they wouldn't say that kind of stuff. No, they're, they're, they're going to talk about how your life is going to be better just as long as you keep me in the office. See, it's even, it's even the, politics has even lost it, moved away from its moorings where it was one time considered a natural cure for natural man for the soul, secular theology. But now it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's turned into a Popularity contest, and what can you do for me? And you, you, you hear it from all of them. But it was intended to be really as a substitute for, 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 for theology. But politics is a form or an idea based on reasoning. Follow my thinking here. Politics is a form, formulation of ideas of what is right, what is wrong, and is based on reasoning. Theology is God's truth based on revelation. Are we going to obey man? 
or are we going to obey God? And even in God's revelation, he, he reveals to us that, yes, we have to do that reasoning, but the reality is we take our cues from God's revelation. You, uh, it really, you know, I, I don't have the time to unpack this, but this is part of that perennial battle between, between the city of God and the city of man that Augustine wrote a thick book about. Um, I've never known anybody who's read that entire book. I haven't, but it's, it's a great book to, to really read and, and to, to draw from. But it, it's really the perennial battle, battle between the city of God and the city of man. And we as Christians are citizens of where? The city of God. Paul tells us this, that our, that our citizenship is in heaven. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also wait, excuse me, eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21 who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue or this word subject all things to himself. In other words, he subjects all things to himself. It's the same word that's used here in Romans 13 when it says subject yourself or submit yourself to government. Jesus here, is, is, we're told in Philippians 3, he's going to subject all things to himself. It hasn't happened yet in its fullness. But we're called to be members and citizens of the, uh, the kingdom of heaven, of the city of God. And because of that, we take our cues based on God's revelation recognizing that part of this, and I'm sorry to say this, but recognizing that part of this is the fact that God has established secular governments as a cure for the soul, for the natural soul. Don't think spiritual, the spiritual soul, the natural soul. In other words, that the purpose of secular governments so that we don't live in a time like we read about in the book of Judges where it said there was no king in Israel at that time, so every man did what was right in his own mind, in his own soul, in his own conscience. He did what was according to his own ideas. He was a government unto himself. That's called anarchy, by the way. But we're citizens of heaven. Second of all, I've been, I've been talking about this already, that God, God has structured the government for the common good. God has structured the government for the common good. Again, to, to eliminate uh, or hopefully to eliminate uh, a society that we're just a bunch of anarchists. And he has ordained leaders to work in the city of man. He has ordained leaders to work in the city of man. Now, again, we are a part of what? The city of God. The city of God was established by whom? The city of God was established on a cross outside the city of Jerusalem by our Lord Jesus Christ, who greater love has no man than this, 
than a man lay down his life from his, for his friends. That's the proper context of that verse. Again, this fascinates me because Paul writes this when Nero is, has taken over Rome. And, and his first years were bad, but they, they weren't the nutcase years that he had later in the end, toward the end of his, his reign where he was just killing Christians left and right. Thirdly, and this is important, we look for another city. We look for another city. Boy, um, every time I read it, and I have it in front of me, but I'm going to turn to it. Every time I read it, it just strikes me that as I as I think about this this particular verse uh, in Hebrews 11, if you want to turn there with me, it it to me I'm like I, I understand this, but boy, there is so much more here than I'm even willing or, or able to grasp. Right around verse 10. Verse 8 is where I want to go. That's why I turned here. But it says in Hebrews 11, verse 8, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. What's an inheritance? Something that you get in the future. Normally when someone passes away and they give it, they, they will it to you. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Doesn't that sound like 2022? I have no idea where we're going. But he went out on faith. Verse 9, by faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country. Now think about that. He never really settled in is what this is telling us. Dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise, for he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He waited for the city whose builder and maker is God. Man builds his own cities. The first... Who built the first city, by the way? Cain. Cain actually built the first city. Nimrod built the city as well, but Cain actually built Enoch before that. Yeah. Cain built his own, and he went out of the presence of the Lord and did what? He dwelt in the land of Nod. Nimrod builds the city later, right? It's the highest enterprise that a person can do. Building the city of God is the highest enterprise that God can do, and he did so by Jesus Christ shedding his blood on the cross for each of us. We look for another city. And we do so, we do these things for conscience sake. This word conscience sake, and I I probably should have brought this out earlier, is this idea of an awareness. The inward faculty of distinguishing between right and wrong. The idea of awareness. But it requires spiritual maturity to say, I must decrease and he must increase. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5 says, Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, 
from a good conscience and a sincere faith. This is what we've been called to walk in. We're to obey the government according to Romans 13. We are also to obey God rather than man according to Acts chapter 5. According to Matthew chapter 22, Jesus tells us we are to give to Caesar that which is Caesar's. We are to give to God that which is God's. And so we walk through this life with an awareness of the Holy Spirit speaking to our conscience and directing us which way we should go when we should do it, when we should not do it, when we need to honor, when we need to resist. And so really this all, and I'm going to sum this up real quick. It really all about, about boils down, in my opinion, to a spirit-filled life. Where Paul told the Galatians in chapter 5 to walk in the spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That we're to look at the word of God and read it and adhere to it, not by the letter, but by the spirit. Because if we go to Romans 13 and adhere to the letter and only the letter, yeah, we can do that but we're missing part of the instruction of God for what he gave us in the Old Testament, what he gave us in the book of Acts, what he gave us in the book of Matthew. The wind blows where it, where it blows, and we can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. John chapter 3. So it is with the Spirit. Boy, we need to really grab a hold of that concept. It's in the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus in John chapter 3 and the first few verses. I, I would encourage you to look at that again. But we need to be people who catch the wind of the Holy Spirit and the leading of the Holy Spirit and the direction of the Holy Spirit and allow him to speak to our conscience. And so that when we do the things we do or we do not do the things that we don't do, we do it with a sense of a firm conviction that we are being led by the Holy Spirit of God and not by our own passion, our own desires, our own preferences, our own will, or even our own rights.